Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so excited to have you join us for my conversation with Nicole Clark, the founder of Trellis Law. Wow, her company has grown leaps and bounds since she was a guest in 2021. She's paving the way with groundbreaking legal technology that is vastly changing the way um, legal information is accessed and even getting the information, shall we say. Uh, We talk scaling the company, product growth. They've launched so many products. Uh, Employee growth and grit. Her software is incredible. You can actually do fun searches as an individual consumer on patents and inventors and all kinds of things on their website. If you want to check it out, you can go to trellislaw.com and search on there. Uh, But anyway, super cool stuff. She's brilliant. She's awesome. And so can't wait for you to hear our conversation. Today, we, I am so excited, actually. We have a guest that's returning. Yay! Yay. Um, <laughs> we have Nicole Clark with us today, who is the founder and CEO of Trellis Law. And so I am excited to catch up and hear all of the exciting things from when the last time that we spoke. And it sounds like there's lots of um, things that have happened and lots of development. So that's super cool. So I can't wait to hear about it. But thank you, Nicole, for being with us today. Absolutely excited to be here. Yay. Okay, so catch me up. When we last spoke, you had just recently, like in the process, I think of closing out your funding, Series A, correct? Series A, correct. Yes. So how, what's happened since then? Goodness, so much. A year and a half in startup land is an eternity. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost almost hard to remember back so far. Um, Certainly, I think we have more than doubled the team. Um, We have launched many new products. Um, I think we were probably around four states uh, that we covered when we last chatted. And we now cover 26 states, over 1,200 county courts. So expansion in all ways, team, product, uh, yeah. coverage, just everything. That's amazing. Okay, so just to catch up some listeners that were new that um, so we know what we're talking about, tell yep. us a little bit about Trellis and what you guys are doing, and um, then we can put all the pieces together. Absolutely. So what we are doing is making a single searchable database for the United States State Trial Court System. So absent trellis right now, uh, courts operate at a county level and every county is separate and fragmented across the United States. There is 3,000 separate courts. And so what we do is we go in county by county and we aggregate that data, structure it, normalize it, and then make it searchable so that you can actually surface information from the largest court system in the world 
by judge or by party or by legal issue and then run analytics on top of that data as well for law firms, legal corporate department or corporate legal departments, uh, insurance companies, etc. I think this tool, as I will say again from previously, I think it would be a very extremely useful tool because it seemed kind of old school. You couldn't find any information about yep. any of the opposing um, legal Council. representatives. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you had to dig one by one to try to find it, right? And say this helps um, to alleviate those. Yes. And And even if you wanted to find information, you had to know a case number in order to pull any information previously. Uh, So you couldn't even search by a law firm or an attorney and find their cases. It is crazy. It's wild. weird. It's bogus (laughs) to me. I mean, as much as technology, as much as it has advanced, like, I don't know, I guess there still are some archaic components out there. There really, really are. And it's probably the unsexy, uh, antiquated <laughs> industries that uh, right. you know engineers aren't really thinking about as their next big move until you right. show them how big something can be. Right. I'm curious. Have you done any data on like um, from the users that you've sold this to that have used it? What the how impactful or how it's impacted? those individuals this is just for my own personal like way my brain works absolutely so it's really interesting because we have such a broad uh, market base of customers and so lawyers and law firms are one and they're they're a core but they're not the only so I can talk about some of these other use cases that are really interesting but lawyers and law firms um, they can actually look up motions they do a lot of motion practice and they can use motions that have been drafted by other attorneys as a starting place that's what attorneys are doing most of the time anyway um, but they're using what they have in their own document management system not the entire trial court system is a way to write better motions faster and um, just win more so certainly being able to be more efficient win more Um, and then really get strategic in a way that they've never been able to. So look at opposing counsel. How do they handle cases? Um, What types of motions do they bring? Have they appeared before the judge before? I mean, there's so many ways to dig in. So Mm -hmm. it's overall setting client expectations. Look, um, you know, Microsoft were were before this judge. This judge historically has ruled this way. This is his grant rate. Um, he takes around this long. So being able to set expectations oh, in a way that has good. never existed before. Time, and then yeah. actually being able to win, right? <laughs> yeah. So the value yeah. of winning for your client and then them bringing you back more business is really immeasurable. So this brings up a thought to me. Um, how common is it for... It makes it seem like attorneys or judges or whatnot, they have... I don't want to say habitual, but they seem to act in the same manner. Yes. In <laughs> It's very repetitive, like they don't switch things up to get a different result. You know, attorneys are humans and many of us uh, stick or to what they a, know. Exactly. They stick to a certain playbook. 
Um, the interesting thing is, without any information, what would you do? You'd stick to your playbook that you know. But having additional information can actually allow you to pivot in ways. Oh, this hasn't worked in the past before this judge. We should instead do this. So it gives them the ability to have some insight to do things differently. Um, but yes, for the most part, if you're looking up opposing counsel and you see that they've handled a case a certain way, they're likely doing that at volume because it's fast and it's easy and it's what they know. And so you have a pretty good starting place on what they're likely to do again. Yeah, interesting. I, I kind of think this would be useful as a consumer too. <laughs> you know, we are on the path. Um, it's a project for this year of law firm and attorney analytics as well and not only is this helpful for law firms to be competitive but for consumers and corporations that are choosing their lawyers and law firms let's get a little transparency about how much they actually win cases um who do they appear how many cases right their style and like i've had to search for attorneys for personal reasons before and yep. it's like shooting a a dart in the wind like it really is how in the world are you supposed to know who's good or not until you show up and you're like well that that was a waste (laughs) (laughs) that took a lot of money and i didn't really get any results that i wanted yes mm. absolutely and there's a benefit to that for attorneys right um and so the transparency i think will give consumers and and businesses that have to hire and evaluate lawyers the transparency, the leverage that's necessary to make decisions that are actually going to be right for them. So it's a an entire new way for us to think about utilizing data from a sort of consumer perspective to think about who's going to be the right counsel for us. Yeah, I think that'd be amazing. I will sign up to be your first user on that one. Um, so let's talk about how did you double the team? Like, did you scale the team based on demand or did you hire the team to create demand and then let's talk about scalability and how did you go from closing series a to four states to 26 states and what that process is and then obstacles like all i'll ask all the questions along the way but absolutely so let's talk about engineers first because they build the product that you can yeah. ultimately sell. <laughs> Which are the um, hardest people to hire, in my opinion. So oh, it is so <laughs> true. I sometimes look back and like, you know, law school was great, but man, if I could have been an engineer, I could have just written my ticket in life. <laughs> it's a right? great job. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yes, hiring engineers and. Um, you know, getting them to believe and be excited because really they can go anywhere. Um, That is a big part of it. And having a team that is capable of evaluating engineers to make sure they're going to be the right fit as well is really important. So one, we have a great engineering and product team that has brought on really, really great talent. but yes, we had we have historically been a really very lean team, and we continue to actually be fairly lean for as broad as our product is, and the amount of different features and the amount of uh, different aspects of the product. It's a very very um, it's a it's an optimistic. It is a uh, 
a big goal that we're going after. We're talking about huge amounts of data, um, thousands of different systems, and bringing it all together under one. And then the analytics right. being a totally separate part above that. And then now we also have our, our data, uh, which we sell by API to all kinds of different industries. Um, so we kind of think of the, the product in those three separate components, the, the search aspect, um, the analytics aspect, and then the API aspect. Yeah. And despite doubling, I'd say in a perfect world, we'd, we'd have even more engineers. It, it takes a lot of work to keep the current product working because, you know, things break all the time. We're dealing with government websites and they are not easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and well, and then it's, it's, you got to continue adding that data, right? You have to continue adding the data. Things are breaking. Mm -hmm. So it's not just, okay, you go back and you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of cases, but these cases are changing on a daily basis. New yeah. cases are being filed every day. And so there's just a ton of work to stay current just in the case data aspect. Um, and then <clears throat> entirely separate to build a consumer-facing API, a customer-facing API that can access that data. Um, and then the analytics with the machine learning entirely separate team. So right. the, the real prioritization struggle is keep current customers happy, continue to make that an incredible product and to build what they're requesting, right? They, they continue to have asks for the product that they're using and paying for while you're figuring out how much in terms of engineering resources you want to put towards building new products to create new revenue streams to make sure you hit some of those growth metrics that you need in order to make it to you know the next goal the next milestone right interesting that's a lot of um back-end work it that's really is of, yes yeah yeah so how many products have you developed since then goodness so we have the the core uh searchable database where you can search the u.s state trial court system across thousands of counties by judge and by counsel or by legal issue we have all of the file documents uh over 150 million searchable file documents where you can search by the text of the document um there's that then we have recently we continue to add new states new counties constantly that will always be part of what we do um, then we have all the classification and machine learning aspects that we do on that so that the data is structured and classified and we can continue to do better and better analytics and add additional analytics on top of that we recently re released a court comparison analytics so it's not just, uh, you know, judge analytics was one aspect of what we did, but now the courts are, compare these three courts against each other. I wanna know um, which here, my type of case faster, what the win rates are, what the particular, uh, you know, motion grant rates are for motions that I know I'm gonna bring. And that can allow you to bring your case in a jurisdiction that's gonna be more favorable for you, or at the very least set expectations if you're in a jurisdiction you haven't practiced before. So that's been a big one. And then our API has been huge. We also actually just released, uh, in addition to our API, which, I mean, the types of customers that use it are so interesting, right? We have, of course, lawyers and law firms, but then we have um, companies that sell into legal and law firms and that utilize ah. it for business development um, and marketing. And then we have 
um, all of the sort of trial visualization companies that utilize our data to produce their own specific analytics uh, to customers to add value. And uh, financial services companies that use us for due diligence when they're looking up corporations. And there's so many different use cases. It wow. continues to really blow my mind there. Um, and then we also just released our daily filings report, which basically um, goes in on a jurisdiction basis and tells you every new case that was filed uh -huh. in that jurisdiction. And a lot of what you're doing there is recognizing uh, for law firms, should they be reaching out? Is this a potential for a business development opportunity here? And or is a current client being sued? You want to be the first to let them know um, as their mm. attorney that they're being sued. And you don't want another firm to come in and tell them because then it looks like you're not on top of things. And so just staying competitive, making sure that you maintain that client relationship is important. Wow. That's a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> that is. Uh, do you have different marketing efforts for each one of these or some of them add-ons? It sounds like some of them might be enhanced features for some of the products. Like, how do you handle that from a marketing standpoint? Well, from a marketing standpoint, yes, there are entirely specific use cases, entirely specific personas and industries for some of these different various. So there is a lot of marketing specific work to make sure that you're targeting the, the right type of user. We've grown a lot in uh, the academia space with law schools and mm. law libraries and universities. That's been a really interesting space. Um, so yes, there's entirely different ways that, uh, you know, different, it's an ROI or a different value for mm -hmm. different industries. And so you have to think about it like that. Um, and then just the products themselves are, right. are very different. Yeah. yeah. So when you set out to build these products, how easy is it to scale them? to service the, the masses, right? Like service yeah. all of these. Because I think scalability is probably a big component of building a startup. It is, but what I would say is in the early days, that shouldn't exactly. be the focus. You have to get, you have to, get to uh, core customers. It, you know, it's a Y Combinator says, you know, do stuff that doesn't scale. When, when you're first starting out, you want to make sure that there is a market, there is a demand, and you want those initial customers to give you feedback. Because what mm -hmm. you release initially is not going to be right. Right. <laughs> no matter how yeah, long true. you take, um, you know, creating it in the back, end, you know, before you release, you can spend years. You won't get the information that you need to make the product better until you release it and customers tell you what they like and what they don't like. Slash, you look at their, their usage and you can, they'll, they'll tell you based on their usage. Um, from there, we personally have a sort of just-in-time engineering perspective, which is we think about a new product, we uh, ourselves get to conviction over whether it's something that can bring in revenue and that's worth putting engineering resources towards now, because that's the big thing, is prioritizing your engineering resources. And then 
we shop it around to customers. Would you be interested in this? Is this something that you would pay for? Once we get that validation, then we build. What we build is something that gets us close enough to talk to customers about it. And then uh, if customers say, yes, I want that, I would pay for it. Then we do the, the finishing touches to be able to have them try it. And then but when that happens, right. then we build out. And then, you get and then we get serious about scaling. So yeah. the you just can't put a, 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 I don't recommend in early stages putting a ton of development time towards something that you haven't really validated with the market first. Lessons learned from and listening to a lot of founders, I think your market research is invaluable at the beginning and along Absolutely. the way. Right? Yes. It's, yes. You cannot put a price tag on it. It is very true. And you can spend a lot of time researching, but what you will learn is what happens when you release a product to yeah. customers. That's right. what you start really learning. Right, right. So what has been your biggest aha moment or pivot during the last year and a half? I'd say recognizing uh, all of these additional industries and sort of customer groups has been really interesting for us. You know, we used to sort of think of it as, all right, you know, law firm, SMB, enterprise, um, but we have such a variety of customers now that it is starting to be, okay, well now we, we can identify certain industries. Which ones do we prioritize now in terms of certain verticals? Because there's a lot of options and we need to do what we actually can accomplish now, given team, given resources, and what's gonna be the highest impact right now. And so the aha has been, oh, wow, there's this interesting industry that is worth us actually putting some focus into, creating marketing materials for going after from a, from a sales perspective. The other thing has really been, we, we started out as a product-led uh, growth company and we still have that aspect of the business where there's no sales touch at all. People can sign up on their own free trial. Um, but we have now scaled up a sales team. And the enterprise deals from that are really significant and have allowed us to uh, really grow to the next level. And so um, I think we did it in, in the right steps. I don't think we should have been sales-led before we had that product-led funnel um, mm -hmm. coming in. But once we had that volume of leads, then having building up a, a sales team around that and starting to scale that team. And there's so many learnings <laughs> on scaling a sales team. Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd say those two things have been probably the biggest for us in the last year and a half. Yeah. So how big is your sales team? Is it, Our I'm sales team now is around 10. Oh, wow. That's big. Yep. Are they inside or are they outside? Like those are old school terms, but are yeah. they like biz dev, like developing leads, like a sales dev or are they a mix of both? Just wondering your... Um, so the way that strategy. we separated it out was we have 
uh, some focusing specifically on academia, since that's growing uh, really okay, quickly for us right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then we have um, one or two in the sort of mid-market category, and those are going to be ones that came in product-led, but they are, we can see that there's an opportunity there, but they're still a smaller firm. And then we have our strategic enterprise reps, and they're going after the bigger deals, and so they're doing outbound, but they're also following up on the enterprise leads that come in inbound as well. That's great. So any obstacles that you've faced? I mean, that's like a loaded question. I feel like every startup has an obstacle, <laughs> but, but and not Which in a day? negative way. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Which one do you want to talk about today? Uh, but like for listeners, maybe that can relate. Is there anything out there that you've had to overcome? Or I don't look at them as like failures or mm -hmm. ne necessarily a negative thing. I think it's just a learning route like you just take a different route to get to something that maybe your mind was set on a, you know a certain route before but any obstacles that um as a startup you uh faced in the past year and a half i mean I, there's been a lot of macroeconomic conditions yeah. for sure oh, yeah stuff out of your control right and absolutely and so you know we're continuing to watch how that affects affects sort of enterprise deals and industries in general and um, how much we want to spend towards growth and how much we want to conserve. Those are sort of daily constant reevaluations and pivots take place all the time based on new information. So just expect that whatever your plan is, it will change over and over again as you continue to move forward. Um, I think an early learning from this last year was actually uh, to do with scaling up a sales team from a company that was previously entirely product-led. So no sales. I was doing primarily our enterprise sales at that time, and otherwise it was entirely through the product. And um, having a team that has been a core product-led team and then bringing on an entirely uh, separate new sales org and growing that quickly, there was a lot of... Um, just learnings there in terms of team dynamics and getting folks to understand this new strategy that had been at the company for a long time when we were product-led and how to support a sales team and, and kind of all of the um, effort and energy that goes in from the other team members to help support a sales team that we hadn't really experienced before and getting everyone sort of on the same page, moving towards the same goal. There was a lot of learnings there, yeah. which I think we've gotten to a good place, but um, I think I didn't, I didn't really think about that as we went full force to let's grow a sales team and let's do it quickly. And um, then recognizing, oh, <laughs> there's a lot of team dynamics here that yeah. are, uh, need to be continued to explore and you need to continue to, to talk to people and help them understand uh, what the goal is. Yeah. Do they all report to you or do you have a sales manager? I have a, we have a VP of sales. VP of sales. And then he sales. reports to me. Yeah. That's great though. And there's no that, way I could do it that many you could totally sales eat your reps. Time. No, absolutely. <laughs> are they all remote? They are all remote. Some of them live locally. So we have offices in Los Angeles and we have folks that come in. Usually Wednesdays is our big office day where we have uh, folks that are local enough to come in, come into the office. But during COVID, where we doubled the size of the team, um, everyone that we hired was remote. So we have yeah. an entirely hybrid culture. 
I wish we got more office time with folks. You can really see the difference when people are in the office and are laughing and asking questions that they probably wouldn't slack because they just don't want to bother someone. And there really is a big benefit to uh, being in person, but mm -hmm. we're remote first. I think um, you gotta do what works and right. <laughs> that's, that's what true. works for us right now. It's true, that's awesome. And with growth, with uh, employee growth and product growth, I think that there are a lot of things that certainly change that you have to scale to, like employee benefits and yes. like all of the, um, like your employee value proposition and yes. your branding and not company branding for customers, but employee branding um, and all of those components, right? So it's not just as easy as just going out and hiring people. So what's, how's that had an effect or has it been smooth? Has it been easy? It's such an interesting point because those are the things you don't think about, right? You, right. you have a small team and you have no process in place. Just, just nothing. It's been kind of a free-for-all, right? You talk yep. to each other, I need to take this day off, but it's not even put in anywhere. Um, and then you grow. And then some of these policies become important. And as you're hiring and recruiting, these questions become really important that you realize you don't have answer or process around right now. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of slowly added um, additional benefits, started creating policies and procedures, maternity, paternity leaves, right? All of these things that had been kind of lackadaisical in the past when there was just a few of us. Um, and it's interesting because you, you grow and you add benefits and add benefits. And then at some point you're looking over your P&L and you're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. uh, I didn't realize we got, we got there. Um, if it keeps really great employees happy, it's worth it. But the, the benefits can grow rapidly before you know it for sure. Yeah. yeah. I had one girl on here that their company basically went under because they spent so much on employee benefits and trying to make the employees happy, right? So it just... It's a hard balance because you, you need to make them happy, but you have to keep the company going so that you can continue to employ them. Right, <laughs> right. Um, and so there's, there really is a balance there where you need to... Um, you know, everyone is probably thinking about it from their own sort of perspective, right? The employees have their perspective, but what probably a lot of employees don't realize is um, what the broad overall landscape looks like and that there's so many things that you're taking into consideration when you're making decisions and they're not always gonna be able to be privy to all of that. And so sometimes it can, it can seem like decisions are made in a vacuum when you're trying to think of the overall landscape of how do you make the business successful and you know absolutely there's, yeah. there's trade-offs I don't think employees sure. think about that stuff at all mm -hmm. uh, personally but so are you going to do another round of funding or are you good we are likely going to do another round of funding so we're looking to raise our series b uh, probably in about 12 months um we're on a good path to growth we may hit break even and then be in a great place to raise. So that would be the, the real goal here, especially with macroeconomics, we'll have uh, leverage that many startups don't. So that's, that's the high level goal, but we're probably looking to raise our series B and we're on a good track to do so about 12 months from now. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And then what are some, what are your next goals? Like, what do you see as your next milestone or, um, or milestones, shall we say? Mm -hmm. Right now, and it, it's different um, where you are in the lifespan of your company in terms of what you should set as milestones. I guess revenue is always one <laughs> to take sure. into consideration, um, but we are at that, you know, that's the, the most important thing right now for us as we raise our Series B, particularly because just uh, the investor conversation continues to move more away from your dreams and your goals and your vision for the business to show me the numbers, which is your series A, and then series B is just send me over the numbers. I don't even need to talk to you. <laughs> right, so it's only right. numbers. Um, and so really hitting our goals, our revenue milestone goals, so that we can um, continue to bring on additional engineers so that we can then build out additional products on top, continue to bring in more data, continue to do better classification, bring in and start utilizing some sort of generative AI to do fun stuff. Um, so there's a lot ahead, but it's really the, the revenue milestones that unlock the ability to continue to build bring on a, a bigger team and go after the market opportunity here. Yeah. That's super exciting. So for the 26 states, are they in any specific order? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> everything, everything you do in a startup has to be ruthlessly prioritized, just down to every decision you are making. And so the states, um, and we actually do this on a county level, not even on a state level, because we have to collect the data count, county yeah, by county. Yeah, that's a whole lot of info. I can't it even, is a whole I can't lot. even imagine. I can't it fathom really it. Is. It really is. Yep. can't. Yep. It's interesting because when you look at what we've created, it's this giant ingestion machine of data from just yeah. thousands of different places that come in. And then there's this you know, pretty user interface that like looks like Google, and no one has any idea what's going on right. in the back end to bring all that data together. Yeah, um, I just think about storage and... Um, yes, yeah, AWS like, cloud storage yeah, is very expensive for us, yeah, server costs, yeah. also the computational costs for the analytics. So yes, we, which oh, is yeah. part of the reason why we needed to be a venture-backed business and we couldn't start being bootstrapped because there is a cost just computational to doing what we do with the amount oh, of data sure. that we collect. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I work with data analytics engineers. They're certainly not cheap either. They are uh, not. No, but I would <laughs> say for most, California. <laughs> of, for most of the life of the business, all of my engineers have made more than I have. It's just, you just yeah. go into it knowing that, you know, you got to sit with it. It's okay. <laughs> right. It's just something you accept someday. Yep. Your payoff yeah, will come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're building your dream. So what can you do? <laughs> yeah. In terms of prioritization, the way that we prioritize uh, county is what is the population of that county? What okay. is the volume of cases? Um, what are the types of cases? Are they high value or low value? And then what's the population of attorneys? And that's sort of how we think about, and we try to cover states by population. So if there ends up being a couple rural counties where there's a few cows and not many cases, we're not gonna prioritize that county. We're gonna go after high volume, high population counties first, and then continue to collect uh, some of the smaller counties as we grow 
um, as we move forward. But there is there's just diminishing returns on some of those smaller counties right now for us. It's great to say we cover everything. But the truth is, for the business, some of them matter more than others. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So you did your research on the sizes of the counties. Yes. And And then there's also the technical considerations, right? How hard is this? How much is this going to cost? Right? So you're doing, you're putting all of it together when you're making your right. decisions. Oh, I can only imagine some of those smaller court oh, systems. Oh, it's whatever oh. you're thinking, it is worse. <laughs> <laughs> they may not even have computer systems. I don't some of them know. don't. There are legitimately courts, U.S. court system, largest court system in the world, where you can't get anything electronically. You have to go in as a human and ask for a record. It is mind-blowing that we, uh, yeah, right, that's not, we're here. Uh, I've experienced that within the past three years. I had it's to literally crazy. go to get a printout. Yes. I mean, not yes. a printout, but like a copy. A copy, right. Yeah. I mean, how is that possible? It, it just doesn't make any sense. We, you know, we have budgets to do all kinds of things. But the court system, judicial proceeding data, which belongs to the public, isn't, it's public, but is it accessible if you have to take a trip and go down and pay and know certain information in order to get it? It's just, there's a lot of interesting uh, 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 ethical considerations there. Right. Oh, brings me back to like library and encyclopedia days. (laughs) And that is the right (laughs) way to think about it, unfortunately. Oh my gosh. Uh, so what, how can we best help you? Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of things we can do for you or what, what is your biggest need? What's your biggest ask right now? Biggest ask? Honestly, I'd love more folks to visit the website. So we are, it's trellis.law. And if you want to start searching for free, it's trellis.law slash search search Elon Musk or Twitter or the president, right? There's so many interesting, the Kardashians, any, any interesting celebrity that you want to see info for, you can find on our site. There's lots of fun stuff to do, whether you're a lawyer or not, just to, to see information. Um, and we are heavily affected by SEO and sort of top of funnel and, and traffic and Google kind of looks at our traffic to say, are they an expert? Are they useful? And we'll send us more people if more people come. And so that's one thing, getting folks on, even if they're just free users that want right. to you know, search interesting things, um, we would love that. Trellis.law slash search, get in there, start finding out fun information, ex-boyfriends, yeah. whatever it is, right? There's all whatever kinds of fun stuff is. on there. Oh, that's yeah. scary. I don't need anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, that's cool. Okay, we can go to web- your website. That's easy. Easy does it. Um, I think too. If anyone knows of any law schools, um, yes, attorneys. I know lots. Yes. Um, firms, company attorneys, like uh, any of those folks. It sounds like this. Uh, it doesn't sound like it. Really seems like this is an invaluable tool for their jobs. Agreed. incredible. You can end up being a hero to them by introducing them uh, to to Trellis. We we have very, very happy uh, customers because this thing is so hard that no one uh, thought it could be done. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, and it's so amazing. it's pretty exciting when they learn about it. Yeah. It's like very meticulous work that's 
put into more simplistic, grandiose excess access. Yes. It's the, crazy. the making it look simple is the hardest part. <laughs> You're right. Right. So what do you love about being an entrepreneur and a founder? What have you loved the most? Because you didn't, <sighs> you were... You were an attorney. I was before, an attorney. Right? I hadn't, yeah. I didn't, I never thought, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Um, I thought I could change firms if I wasn't happy, which I did multiple times. Um, and then just recognized that there was this massive opportunity here and I just couldn't believe it hadn't been done yet. Um, I, I love every part of it, to be honest. Yeah. It's funny, I look back and I think, God, what if I hadn't, what if the, this sort of hadn't, uh, this opportunity just hadn't presented itself to me. And um, I, I, w I, don't, I don't know that I knew it at the time, but miserable, it was miserable. What I liked was the problem solving aspect of being an attorney, but I have that now just all day, every day. And it is my favorite part of being an entrepreneur is every day is so wildly different. You are making decisions all day that you're many times making without enough information and yeah. you're doing right. the best you can yep. and it's really interesting and there's just so much to consider and so much to think about and you get to watch your team grow you get to watch yourself grow you get to watch your customers grow um there's there's a lot of sort of um just a immediate uh tangible benefits that you get to watch as things happen and i can't imagine doing anything else at this point yeah that's that's fantastic it's fun you're making uh, the startup world sound really fun but it is fun it's like constantly changing never a dull moment and you're always challenged like if you're you looking for a challenge always challenged right? yes yeah absolutely it's super fun that's awesome so one more question if you were to give now that you've got some time under your belt and some yep. success you've raised funding you're developing new products you've scaled you've got so much momentum which is incredible what piece of advice would you give other founders i mean the advice it is dependent on where you are in your business and what your business is um mm -hmm. but from a high level you just gotta keep going <laughs> is i know you know it's really it's really hard and there are so many days where you're like, what, what am I doing? Is this even possible? And you just got to keep pushing through and you'll be surprised at what happens if you do. Um, there's not a lot of people that, that can, that can just push through, that see the end result in their mind and know they can make it happen. And those that do, I think are, end up being successful simply because you stick it out and surviving is mm -hmm. <laughs> one way to win in, right. in startup land. Um, so you gotta believe you can do it because you're gonna hear a lot of no's and some of them will hurt. Many of them you'll get immune to, but some of them will hurt and just keep going. Resilience. Yep, grit. That's awesome. Pure yeah. grit, keep at it. Absolutely. Well, I am super excited for you and your team. It sounds like everything is going really well and the momentum is great. I can't wait to see um, how your success continues and 
close funding, not if, when you close funding. Thank you, thank you. And all of the growth. But we will definitely get people to go to your website and start searching. And anything else, I'm going to reach out to some of um, my attorney folks. Love that. uh, Yeah, anything that we can help you with to support you, we're happy to do. And I'm so thankful for your time. Thanks for coming back. Awesome. So great being here. Thanks. Thanks again. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, subscribe to our channel, The Wild Feather. If you want to learn more about our guests or their products and companies, you can visit our website at thewildfeatherpodcast.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter to receive info on our upcoming episodes. Follow us on social media to get the latest deets. We're on all of them, so pick your favorite and follow us. And if you're a founder and need funding or accelerator info or business resources, you can go to our website, thewildfeatherpodcast.com and find some valuable information and resources there. No matter if you're a founder, your investor, or what your path is, just remember you were born with wings. Mm -hmm.